Thank you, band, for leading us in worship. That was very good. And uh, thank you all for coming tonight and for hearing about this exciting festival uh, of Passover and unleavened bread. Uh, I've uh, divided our talk up into uh, three parts, uh, the Egyptian connection, uh, the symbols involved, and the significance and, uh, of the Passover, and hope to compare it to Easter. And if you've been to a Passover feast, and it's a little bit different than I described, they do do it in different ways in different places. But so we'll be looking very generally at some of the main points and the main symbols of this important festival. So uh, is the sound okay at the moment? Is everybody, everybody can hear me all right? Yeah? That's great. Well, that's a good start, you know. It's always very sad when at the very end you hear somebody saying, we, we couldn't hear you, there's something wrong. So uh, I like to get that sorted from the start. Uh, tonight we're going to look at the Egyptian connection because that's what the story of Passover begins. Then we'll look at the symbols and then we'll look at the significance and try and show how a festival that happened so long ago has something to say to you and to me uh, around Easter time or just after Easter. The story of Egypt, of course, is one of a, a tremendously impressive civilization. Uh, the Great Pyramid at the back there covered something like 15 acres. And until the building of the uh, Eiffel Tower, it actually, for all those thousands of years, that was the tallest building in the world. Old Jerusalem, uh, when David captured it, would have fitted inside. So Egypt was a very impressive civilization. Well over a million blocks of stone went into the building. And it was all about the death of the pharaoh. Uh, the pharaoh, the tomb that was discovered of Tutankhamun, showed just something of how wealthy and uh, the, the nation was. This coffin uh, was over a hundred weight of gold. And uh, again, the, uh, it's very impressive, worth millions even in scrap value. But there's also a sinister element because if you look carefully at the curved beard, uh, that's a false beard and uh, it represents deity because the pharaoh believed that he was God and he has a serpent on his brow and there was that sinister element to it as well as all the wealth. Uh, I say a false beard because I always like that, uh, to notice that, because whenever Joseph appeared before Pharaoh in the Bible, it says he had to shave. So there's a very authentic little note, because they all wore false beards. They shaved and then wore beards. Even Queen Hatshepsut, she had a beard too. Uh, the sinister element of the Egyptians was that they, uh, in spite of their impressive wealth, they also enslaved people. And uh, while the pyramids were built a long time before Israel came along, nevertheless, they were made to make mud bricks for the Egyptians as slaves. They weren't, pay they weren't paid for their work. They were forced to work harder than anyone should be asked to. And uh, it, they, they, they were miserable captives. And so Egypt was a terrible time for them. Where was their God in all of this? And then just when they thought that God was doing nothing, he came and sent them a deliverer. 
and brought them out of the land of Egypt. And that liberty is what the festival of Passover is about, remembering how God released them from slavery. The Egyptians weren't finished yet. Uh, some people often say that there's no archaeological record of the Exodus, and in one sense, that is true, because the Egyptians never wrote about their defeats, only their victories. But uh, in the Egyptian connection, I always like to show this because it's not as well known as it should be. It's a 12-foot stone, and it is the pharaoh who lived about 200 years before King David, about 1200 BC. Uh, this king, his father, was more famous than he. His father was Ramesses II. And for some reason, as he details all his exploits on this large 12-foot stone, at the little bit at the bottom, you see just about, can you see past me? Just about there. That bit there says, Israel is finished. And to quote it exactly, it says, they have no seed left. Now, that was some blow. The first mention of Israel outside the Bible, and it is their epitaph. But thank God that was... Uh, and I, I, you know, I, I always think that's an interesting thing. The, the Israelites must have done something to annoy the Pharaoh to get such an honorable mention on his big stone because uh, uh, I think maybe that they were still smarting from the Exodus, but that's a personal opinion, supported by the Bible. <laughs> <laughs> so having looked at the Egyptian connection, let's mention just what the Passover feast was all about. It's Old Testament origin related to the time when God had sent a number of plagues on the land of Egypt to persuade Pharaoh to release his people. He had sent nine plagues already, uh, and uh, th these were terrible things that happened to Egypt to persuade the Pharaoh to release the people he had enslaved. These plagues were, were not just bad things that happened. They were also declarations that God was the true God because they were particularly aimed at the gods of Egypt. Let me give you an example. The Egyptians believed that the river Nile was a goddess. And uh, one of the plagues was God turned it to blood, which was a direct confrontation with their so-called gods. Another one, uh, the, the goddess Heket had the head of a frog in their traditional religion, and God sent the frogs out of the river into their homes, creating uh, quite a fuss because, of course, if they believed there were some sort of deity involved in these frogs, they couldn't kill them, and they were everywhere. It was a plague. But the best one, actually the most significant one, is that the most important god in worshipped in Egypt was the sun god. And one of the plagues was days of complete darkness. It was as if God said, so you worship that? Well, it's just a great light, and I control the switch. So I'm switching it off. So there was a, a, all these things were happening where flies, boils, plagues against the animals, one thing after another to warn the Egyptians 
that they were not fighting human beings. They were not fighting Moses. They were not fighting the Israelites. Their injustice was an affront to God himself, and he had come to liberate Israel from that place. Then God prepared to send the tenth plague. The tenth plague would involve the death of the firstborn. The oldest uh, person, the oldest son in every family would die. That would be a tremendous blow. That would include the next pharaoh. And so it was a great plague to warn them to let the people go. But how would Israel avoid their firstborn children being killed? Well, a little lamb was slain, and uh, it was, the blood was put on the doorposts. And God said, when I see the sacrifice of the lamb and the blood on the doorposts, I will spare that home. I will pass over that house, and the firstborn will not die. And that's where we get this uh, word from, Passover. God would pass over in the judgment when he would slay the firstborn of the Egyptians in justice at what they had done. The Israelites would be saved. And that's what, what is celebrated in the festival of the Passover. And it also points us to Easter, because Easter is about judgment too. And it's about shedding of blood. Because Easter, in spite of all the things that people make it, the, centra the central truth of Egypt is that Jesus came to set the slaves free. That's people like you and me, because though we may not know it, we are born slaves to sin. Now, we can't break free ourselves. So, uh, we deserve the judgment of God. We deserve his wrath. And so, Jesus shed his blood. Just as the blood of a lamb was slain at Passover, the blood of Jesus was shed on the cross. And God says to us, just like the Passover, when you put your faith in the blood of the Lord Jesus and his death on Calvary, I will pass over you. He took the punishment that I deserved. And that's how Passover points to Calvary. So, uh, so it's one great story pointing to an even greater story. One sacrifice of a little lamb pointing to the sacrifice of God himself who came and died for you and for me to take the judgment that we deserved. So Passover tells the story of, of the escape from Egypt. It is called there, you can see, I uh, don't know how clear it is on the slide, yeah, you can see the word Haggadah. Haggadah just means retelling because the first night of Passover and of unleavened bread is retelling the story of God liberating people from the slavery in Egypt. So, so they use a book called the Haggadah, and that will take them through the whole story as a little service held in the homes of people who believe. And at the end of it all, there will be a meal, a beautiful meal that I will mention later on. But it starts off with a service. So the children have to be part of it and they have to be patient because it depends on how religious their parents are, it can last a long time and they can be very hungry by the end of it. So there's little bits of unleavened bread and other things to eat in the meantime. But uh, the table is spread and the meal is prepared. The candles are lit before the Sabbath begins 
and then a special plate is prepared with symbols on it. These symbols you can see in front of you, and I've left a similar plate out the back for you to look at. There's a place for each symbol of the Passover. Uh, they usually have a nice china plate like that, but I carry mine around in the boot of the car, and I found a, a tin one was much more practical. So you can have a look at the tin one at the back, and you'll see exactly the same places. There's a place for a roast egg. Isn't it interesting that eggs are part of Easter tradition and part of Passover tradition? Nobody really knows quite why, but uh, uh, an egg is always part of it, and the starter for the meal will usually be slices of egg dipped in salt water. Uh, but um, it probably represents new life or hope for the future. Uh, then also on the plate, you can see bitter herbs. That's usually some horseradish, root of horseradish. Uh, when you eat the root of horseradish, you know what happens to you. Uh, our family never really was into horseradish, so, so the first time I saw it I was at a, uh, 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 Scripture Gift Mission, and Norman Brown was uh, uh, with me, and he had ordered uh, beef, and, uh, and he was an Englishman, so he had a lot of horseradish sauce. When I saw him putting this white stuff onto his plate, I assumed it was mayonnaise or something. And when I took a rather large mouthful of it, I found that I couldn't speak for about 10 minutes. <laughs> and the tears were running down my cheeks. And, and, th and that's the point of it all. It's to remember that this time in Egypt was not easy. And the tears brought on by the horseradish is all part of the story. And there's salt water to remind you further that slaves didn't get it easy. This was torture. This was iniquity. The other things on the table include a mixture, see that okay? A mixture of apples, a cinnamon, and nuts. It's all mashed up and mixed with wine to make a nice mixture that looks like the cement that they used to make the bricks in Egypt. Uh, another memory of that. And then you have spring vegetables, usually parsley that remembers the hyssop used to put the blood on the doorposts and the lintel, and a piece of lettuce, thinking of spring vegetables or whatever. The whole thing is, however, uh, represented by another important part on the plate that I haven't mentioned that, and it's the bone of the lamb. Whenever the first lamb was uh, slain, it was sacrificed. Passover in the time of Jesus, the lamb was sacrificed in the temple. And now they just put the bone on the table to remind them that you can't sacrifice anymore because there's no temple. Uh, but uh, for those that believe, they will see a different significance. They will see that the sacrifice of a lamb is not necessary anymore because Jesus Christ took that place. He's called the Lamb of God because he was sacrificed for our sins. So that's a, a brief introduction to all the symbols that are on the table on the plate. Uh, and the Haggadah begins the retelling of the story with the first cup. Um, there's uh, four cups in the traditional Passover, four cups of wine, usually mixed with water, or even they can use fruit juice, but it's usually red. And uh, the first cup is uh, after a woman lights the candles, and the uh, first cup is called the cup of sanctification. 
And they use a verse of Scripture that uh, reminds us from Exodus that God invited His people to come out from the land of, of uh, their slavery. It's this one. I am the Lord, and I will bring you out. That's the first part of the verse. It's a message to the slaves. I am the Lord, and I will bring you out. And that's the beginning of the feast. That's what it's about. And the people are not to think of themselves as celebrating something that happened three and a half thousand years ago. They're not to think that this refers to people who lived then. Each person has to think of Passover personally. Each person at the table is invited to think, God took me out of Egypt. It's a personal thing, you see. And I think that's a, a good thing to remember about Christianity too. It's lovely to meet together. It's lovely to have fellowship together. But at the end of the day, you can, have, you can be to thousands of meetings, but it's until you have that personal encounter with God that it really begins to make a difference to your life. It's not, a, a, and just as they're not just celebrating something that happened all that time ago, they're to make it personal. So the cross is not just a, a historical thing that happened 2,000 years ago when a man was crucified. No, it is personal. It's, it's, it's relevant today because Jesus, who died on the cross, rose again. I'll tell you this. I believe with all my heart that he's here tonight. He's alive. He rose again from the dead. That's the bit of the story that we mustn't leave out. And he's in Crescent Church tonight, speaking to each one of us. And we have that personal encounter with him. It doesn't just then be a, a historical thing that happened all that time ago. It's something that's happening now. He's here to meet you and me. And that's how they're to think of it too. They're liberated slaves even today. Next part of the ceremony that's very important is washing of hands. Passover is very traditional, and uh, the washing of hands has to be done properly. It has to be done in running water, and it has to be done at the table. So how do you get running water at the table? Well, you need help. You need to put your hands over a basin, and somebody will pour water over your hands. So there's an idea of being in this together and helping each other. You know, it's, it's, a, it's a fellowship evening. It's communion. Do you know what I mean? When Jesus was holding the Last Supper with his disciples, the washing of hands, the disciples we know from other places in the Gospels, they, they weren't too good at this. The Pharisees quite often pointed to them for neglecting this. So in the end, Jesus got up, and instead of washing their hands, he washed their feet. And uh, in that way, uh, Jesus was able to show to the, the sort of humility that they should show to each other. Uh, Jesus went further than the traditional hand washing and taught his disciples humility by washing their feet. And so the two stories are very carefully intertwined. Uh, and the message of Passover is that we're in this together. We are strong when we are united. And as Christians, we have this personal encounter with God, and then we need each other. So the whole thing is important. It's important to have your personal faith, but it's important to meet like this and to 
help others and to be helped by them too. Then, of course, salt water. Speaking of tears, there's a, a plate with salt water that's passed around into which everyone dips a piece of uh, lettuce or parsley or something like that. The salt is a reminder of the tears the Egyptians shed, uh, the Israelites shed during their bondage. And then, of course, we come to the most important part for me that speaks uh, of Jesus, and that is the unleavened bread that I mentioned earlier. Uh, the unleavened bread is kept in a little pouch like this one. This is a good bit for Christians. I, I, I watch this very carefully to see how the gospel is in the Passover. This is, one, this is all one parcel here, it's all one, but inside it there are three pieces of bread. If I can find the opening, try not to crumble them or they, I'll make a mess up here, but here's your unleavened bread and there's three pieces inside it. Uh, the rabbis uh, say, they, they, don't, they don't exactly know why they say it, but because of the way the bread is made, they point out that nowadays unleavened bread should be pierced and striped because you've got dark brown stripes and light brown stripes. And those who know the Lord can see the gospel in that because Isaiah said that pointing forward with a prophecy of the Messiah who would come, he would say he's pierced for our iniquities and with his stripes we are healed. And so they eat bread that's pierced and striped. There's three pieces. There, it's uh, interesting that it's a bit of a reminder of the Trinity, isn't it? You've just got one thing, but you've got three pieces in it. And now it gets better because the middle piece has to be taken out and broken in two. And then one piece is hidden under a pillow in the house. And it's the last thing that is eaten but I'll finish the story now. But after everything else is eaten, they will eat this piece. What happens is the um, piece is broken. So you've, uh, you've a wonderful uh, gospel message here. The, you know, it's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we believe, are one God. But the Son, His body, was crucified on the cross just represented by the middle piece of broken bread that's striped and pierced. And the, they hide the, this piece around the house somewhere, and you do have to get the children involved because they're getting hungry and they're getting noisy and they're getting bored, and you want them to be part of the story because the Passover has to be passed on to the children, and they're getting a bit restless. So you give them a job to do. They have to find the piece that's hidden. And there they are looking for it, as you can see. Uh, through the house, it becomes a bit of a rampage to find, the, and whoever finds it gets a prize. And then that piece is used as the final thing that is eaten that night. It's reunited, just as the resurrection, just as Jesus' body was broken and put in the tomb, so in the resurrection he rose again from the dead. These pieces are all brought together at the end. Isn't that a marvelous picture of the gospel, and how sad it is that those that celebrate it don't see that, but they reject Jesus as their Messiah. I mentioned that uh, the children need to be kept involved, so they do have the singing of psalms involved in the Passover that I'll mention, but they also have other party pieces. 
And one of them that's about four or five hundred years old is called Dayenu. Dayenu. I don't know. Recently, you will have seen photographs in the paper of Jewish people protesting about the Labour Party, and some of them were carrying placards which said, Dayenu. Well, Dayenu comes from the Passover, because Day means it's enough, and Enu means for us. So basically, Dayenu means uh, it's enough for us. And so they carry these Dayenu flags to tell the Labour Party enough is enough. But they come from Passover because the Dayenu lyrics uh, in English read like this. If God had brought us out of Egypt and had not carried out judgments against them, it would have been enough. If he had carried out his judgments against them and not their idols, well, it would have been enough. If he had uh, smitten their firstborn and had not given us their wealth, it would have been enough. And it goes on and on like that through the whole story. And then the chorus is all, die, die, dienu. And they get very excited about that bit. And so it, it's a, a song that raises the uh, temperature and gives the children a, a real bit to play. And it's simply, if God had done one thing, it would have been enough, but he did more than that. And it goes on for three pages here, and you're welcome to read it later. I'm not going to do it now. But uh, the dienu um, reminds me that the Passover is not enough. Lo, Dayenu. It's not enough for us just to celebrate the Passover because it points to something bigger and better. It points to Jesus Christ. Then the second cup, this is called the cup of plagues. And then the verse is read, I will deliver you from slavery. And all the plagues are read out. Now listen to this bit. Every time a plague is read out, they put a finger into the cup and take the finger out and move it over to a broken saucer and flick onto the broken saucer, symbolizing that that plague has been taken out of the cup. All ten plagues are read, and each time a plague is read, each person puts a finger in the wine and transfers it to a broken saucer, representing two things representing the fact that they are sorry that the Egyptians suffered. We're not triumphalistic. We understand their suffering too. We understand what happened to them, and we're not glad about that. It also means that when you drink the cup, the plagues have already been taken out. And you know, that reminds me of another part of the gospel story, that Jesus mentioned a cup in the Bible times, to talk about drinking a cup meant drinking your particular lot in life. A cup represented who you were and the circumstances you went through. And so when Jesus knew that he was facing the cross, he said, Father, if it be your will, let this cup pass from me, but nevertheless, not your will. And it reminds me that just as people drink the cup of plagues after all the plagues are taken out, Jesus accepted the judgment and drank the cup of the wrath of God for you and for me. And, and there's the story. Ten plagues are recited, and as each one is mentioned, the worshippers dip a finger in the wine and place the drop of wine in a broken saucer. 
The leader then raises the second cup of wine and invites all to sing Psalms 113 and 114. These Psalms are either recited or read, usually in Hebrew, actually. Uh, let me read you a little bit of, this, uh, of these Psalms. They're called the Hallel Psalms, or the Hallelujah Psalms, the, the praise Psalms. And these are part of the service and have been for centuries. And there's no doubt that Jesus and the disciples, when it says they sang a hymn, this is what, uh, at least part of what, they would have been singing or reciting on the Passover night. Praise the Lord. Praise, O ye servants of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Praise be the name of the Lord from this time forth and forevermore, from the rising of the sun to its setting. The name of the Lord is to be praised. The Lord is high above all nations and his glory above the heavens. Who is like the Lord our God? Is that relevant for today? Of course it is. They were able to sing that because the Lord had delivered them from Egypt. But if we have been delivered from, uh, from the judgment of God and promised heaven and home, how much more can we say, praise the Lord, for from the rising of the sun to its setting, his name is to be praised. And that's really the theme of the Psalms. You know, when you get to the last Psalm, the very conclusion is, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. And we have every need, every reason to praise the Lord because we know that that's what Easter is about, that he came to die for our sins. The Passover meal is then eaten. The Passover meal nowadays is, uh, uh, doesn't have to be lamb because the lamb can no longer be sacrificed. So they will start off with uh, soup, uh, a chicken soup usually, uh, and then some little balls of that unleavened bread dipped in salt water or something nicer, the bitter herbs uh, or something. And then they will have, uh, after the soup, they will have the, the main course, which can be uh, anything today. Some people will have stuffed chicken. Some people will have, uh, I nearly said pork, but no, 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 not, not pork, uh, but uh, uh, beef or anything else, uh, you, you see. So the, the, the meal then is eaten after the ceremony is over. And then they sing again, and uh, the third cup, the cup of redemption, this time they read, I will redeem you. That word redeem means I will buy you back. I will pay the price for you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. And it is believed by many that when Jesus instituted the Last Supper, that that indeed is the cup he was drinking. When after the supper, after the meal, he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my body of the, this is my blood of the covenant, which is uh, poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. What a great truth. He used the Passover as an opportunity to introduce his own death and a way that we remember it in the breaking of bread week by week. Then they drink the cup of praise, and after that they sing, and then they leave. And, uh, but there's another cup on the table that's not drunk. That one's called the Elijah cup. It's filled with wine every year, and children are told to watch it carefully. And then they all bow their heads, and they pray that Elijah will come. 
And many Jewish children will say that when they opened their eyes again, they were sure that a little drop had been taken out of the cup. Because, you see, the Jews are waiting for the Messiah. And Elijah was to come and introduce the Messiah. And sadly, they don't believe in Jesus, and they're still waiting for Elijah to come. Some people even leave the door open in an empty chair. Isn't that sad? Because we believe the Messiah has come, and that's what we remember in Easter. So I want to come to a, a, a conclusion now, because I'm well over my time, but uh, I want to just finish off in one minute and compare what does Passover and Easter mean. Just a couple of minutes. Passover, for many people, is the meal. Passover is family getting together. I uh, used to know a Jewish lady very well who lived away down in Donacrony. Uh, she was married to a man from here, and uh, uh, she always, when I met her, she uh, would sometimes come up to the Bible college where I taught, and, and she would always say, you know, when I come into this place, it always reminds me that I am not religious. And, you know, and um, then one day she said to me, I'm really excited. I'm going home to keep Passover. And I said, that's odd, because that's a religious thing. And she said, look, short. she said, no, no, it, it's not. And I said, why, what way do you celebrate it? And here's what she said. She said, when we celebrate Passover, we tend to leave out all the God bits. That's what she said. We tend to leave out all the God bits. And I thought that was such a, you know, I was shocked. And then I thought about Easter. And guess what many people do about Easter? They leave out the God bits. So we're no better. Because Passover and Easter are not about eggs and meals and all that sort of thing. Passover and Easter all point forward to Jesus. And tonight, if you're in this place and you don't know him, I invite you to reflect carefully on what your life is about, because Passover and Easter both remind us that we are born in slavery, that we need to be liberated, our lives need to be set free, and we need to, someone to pay the price for our sins. And both Passover and Easter are about liberation, setting free. And there's many people today who need to be set free in their lives. And that's what Jesus came to do. He shed his blood. He died on the cross. But he rose again from the dead and he's alive tonight. And if we come to him and put our faith in him, then we will know what Easter's all about. Because Easter is about the cross. It's about the resurrection. It's about salvation. Jesus came to redeem us to set us free from our sins so that we would live for him forever. Isn't it good to be able to say tonight, hallelujah, what a Savior, and let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Amen.